Hello, my friends. Welcome again to my forest. I have a story for you tonight. A story that I'm very excited about. And so I don't want to go on and on and on too much about how I came to that story. But I will a little, because I love talking. I love talking to you, and to you, and to you and to myself, too. So I'll try to be brief. I have felt an overwhelming need to communicate lately, to reach out, to offer words, to speak with others, with visitors to my woods, with you, with ghosts, with monsters. I want to learn... I want to discuss, I want to be heard, and to hear, too. To listen. To understand. It's been, as I said, an overwhelming urge this week, and yet I haven't quite known what to say. If I knew what it was I wanted to talk about, surely I could just go do it. I could even walk, with my strange bare feet in the snow. I could reach a long hand with its twig-like fingers and knotted knuckles and sharp claws. I could open my mouth and say what I want to say. If I had something important enough, couldn't I? Ah, uh, but then again, that's what this podcast is. Better to discuss it here, where I think people would like to hear whatever on earth it is I have to say. I sat down in the snow. It's almost just water now, flooding my forest. It goes back and forth between water, snow, water, snow. So much so that I think perhaps I might develop a tail so I can swim through it. Not yet, though. Not yet. I sat down in the melting snow anyway, and I asked my tarot cards, with whom, or what, must I communicate? That is the first thing. Who must I speak with? Who must I learn from? What am I reaching for? I feel the urge to reach. What for? Who am I reaching for? A piece of driftwood floated by on the icy stream I've found myself suddenly in, and I laid the card out on it so it would stay dry. I was disappointed at first to see the Six of Cups. This is the third time. It represents childhood, nostalgia, one's inner child, a longing for simpler times, happy memories. I'll tell you a secret, too. The high priestess came out to play. She didn't jump, she didn't fall, she just sort of gracefully flipped over and made a little appearance as I was shuffling. I did not feel that she was the card I must settle on, but I think she appeared to say, This card will have wisdom for you. Listen to it. So I did not follow my urge to scoff at the Six of Cups which I seem to draw often. 
Instead, I realized the beauty in the message. You must communicate with your inner child. You must communicate with the wisdom you had when you were a child. I like that very much. When I was a child, bear in mind I'm speaking from a vague memory of a vague childhood. I don't know to which incarnation of me that child self belongs, but I know that the child part of me that once was, was very imaginative. I remember inventing worlds in my mind and playing happily in them for hours and hours, and they felt so real. I could see everything so clearly. I could touch things, smell them, and the people I met in those worlds were so real too, so beautiful, all of them, so complicated, full of emotion, angry, sad, joyful, jealous, excited. Perhaps they were all the things that I had difficulty expressing. Frightening and lovely, the imaginary worlds I created. I suppose I never stopped. Therefore, it must be all the more imperative that I speak with the little child that started this tradition of making, of imagining, of playing within me. She was not perfect, but she got me here. I've been thinking about imaginary friends. I've been wondering if we create who we need to engage with as children, with our minds. And then, if that is the case, why do we so callously discard these friends later in life? I think I have shared with you most of my imaginary friends. Maybe that's why some of them keep coming back. Maybe that's why I can't let some of them go. Not really. Not fully. Do you hear that? Never mind. Here is my story for you, then. Find a warm place to rest, even as it grows more cold and rainy here, even as the snow drips from the trees. You are safe and warm. Here is my story for you. Once upon a time, there was a little girl with an imaginary friend. Now I must tell you just a little about her home life first, because that is usually a necessary part of stories about imaginary friends. She was born into a household with fortunate but chaotic people. She was the youngest child in a large place, full of rooms that she was not welcome in. Father had a mysterious library full of paperwork and scrawling and burnt-out candles that she was not allowed to touch or bother or read. Mother had a glorious bedroom with jewels and perfumes and letters and sketches that were all too sacred for children to play among. Much older siblings had parlor rooms full of games and food and drink and guests that she was far too young to have any part of. Everything she overheard from the hallways, 
from her bedroom, from her playroom, her reading nook. Everything she snuck glimpses at was so awfully clandestine and confusing to her. She had questions about everything, and it all seemed so very important, so very exciting. And yet these grown-ups all around her always seemed so sullen. None of their adult goings-on, the things she was always being shut out of, never actually seemed to make anyone happy. In fact, rather the contrary. It seemed there were always tears, always shouting, sometimes fighting, even. What is it that they are doing, she wondered. If I was there, I bet I could even help. If I had all that fun, all that mystery, all that grown-up freedom, I certainly would be happy, I hope. But she would never know. She was the last of the children. She feared that she would never catch up to them. One night she sat in her bed, the lights out in her little nursery, and she watched the snow whipping by outside of her window. There was a storm, a terrible snowstorm, and the wind blew wildly, and the tree branches shook like angry fists just beside her bedroom. And she was frightened. She thought about finding father, or mother, or any of her brothers and sisters, and asking any of them, just one of them even, to sit with her as she went to sleep. Only just until she went to sleep, if they didn't mind. But she heard shouting and singing and weeping and laughing and cheering and stomping and clapping, and all kinds of conflicting noises below, and recalled that there was another party tonight. Lots of guests below. Lots of things that she was not allowed to have any part of. And from the sound of it, she didn't really want any part of it either. But she knew she could not find anyone. She was alone, in a house full of dozens of people, in the busiest party in the county. She was alone, in a dark room, with only a candle to keep her company. But her window blew open from the chilly wind and snow seemed to pour in, and the candle went out. Mama, she cried, Papa. But no one came. The noise was so loud down below, no one would hear. What did she fear more? The solitude up here in her room? Or how irritated they would all be if she ran downstairs and cried and begged someone to come be with her? I'll stay with you, she heard a voice say. And she looked over to the window and, peeking out just from over the ledge, as though they were easily and comfortably resting just outside, as though the window was not four floors up from the ground, was someone. It appeared to be a girl, a little older than her, but not much by the look of her. Though her hair was long and made of thick, gray shadow, 
Her face was lovely, even with its pink, bloodshot eyes. Her smile was soft and shy, and she had an expression of hesitation, a little nervousness, perhaps as though she wasn't sure she would be accepted inside this room. Our youngest child within the room, she knew this feeling all too well. She ran over to the window and helped the girl in. Come in. It's so cold outside. Let's close the window, she said, and the two of them pressed their weight against the large glass window to shut out the snowstorm and the howling wind. Our protagonist looked at the other girl a little more closely now. She seemed to wear simple clothes, a moss-colored tunic with lots of pockets, with sparkling little treasures coming out of them. She wasn't wearing shoes, but didn't seem cold at all. And her strange feet, each with two large toes at their sole and a third claw at their heel, explained how she had so easily climbed the mansion. Who are you? Our youngest child protagonist asked. A friend? The girl answered and smiled. You seemed so lonely. I thought I'd come up and play. I hope that's all right. And of course it was. The two of them spoke for hours and hours. They giggled and gossiped about whatever they thought was happening downstairs. They played pretend. They drew pictures for each other. They sang each other little songs. And the girl's new friend sat with her until she fell asleep. Her kind and calm presence dissipated all of her fear. Even the sight of those pink eyes amid that shadow-like hair was soothing to her as she drifted away. And she was gone by morning. Now many nights passed like this, and the girl grew happier and less curious about the adults in the house. Though her parents and siblings were slightly concerned at the way she spoke of her friend, and the fact that she always seemed to want to be in her room, they took it as a silent blessing and went on with their very grown-up business. Day by day, she grew more and more content, though the adults grew more and more despondent, angry, or agitated with one another. And her siblings, one by one, left the house as they found their desires elsewhere, as grown-ups at some point must. Our youngest child learned to be quiet about her imaginary friend. She knew right away that this was a secret for her and her alone, and she had already been so alone in her childhood that she became accustomed to keeping her interests quiet, keeping her joy for herself. This strange spirit, or creature, or magical being, whatever on earth she was, shared her love of fun, her adoration of stories and of play, and she never felt she was being a burden in seeking that fun with this friend, seeking light and comfort and company. Her friend was warm and true, and there for her in every way. 
Never mind that she was a little ghoulish in appearance. Never mind that it made no sense that she should appear again and again. Nothing logical and rational and grown-up had brought our little hero happiness. So why not turn to something completely impractical and unreal and childish? And she did turn to her. All the time. And she was always there when she needed her. Which is why it was especially difficult when she was told that now it was her turn to leave. To find a life for herself. To move on from this place and let it be. She always knew it would have to happen. We all must grow up. Or so she'd been told, though she never quite understood what that meant. It seemed, after all, that she had only just recently become accustomed to being the only child left in the family. Now she was being asked to join the other adults, finally, and she didn't want it anymore. I have to go. I have to study. I have to work. I have to find another place, she told her imaginary friend one day. I have to grow up. What does that mean? Her friend asked, pink bloodshot eyes wide and terrified. It means that you cannot come with me, the girl said through tears. No, 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 the imaginary friend said and wept and screamed and ranted and railed. No, it can't be. I want you to stay. Stay with me. She repeated over and over and over. She stomped her feet. She hit the walls. She screamed. And from below, the girl's father's voice bellowed at her to be quiet. And the two girls froze. They were being too loud. They lowered their voices. Where will I stay? Will you lock me away here, in some closet all alone? Will you forget about me? Her shadowy friend wept. Never, never, the girl said, and embraced her. Stay here. Stay out of sight if you can, but stay here. Maybe I will see you again some day but you can stay here as long as you want. This is your home. It's very unusual how quickly the girl forgot about her imaginary friend, but you know that's the way it is with friends like this. When you are young and you desperately need them, they are so real. They are so real you feel you truly can touch them. But then you spend a little time away. You grow. You learn that imaginary friends aren't real. You're told that you invented them and that it's perfectly normal, but they are not real. And it starts to make sense. Yes, how could they be real? How could any of it have been real? Imagine explaining to someone that she was kept company growing up by a monstrous and friendly girl who wanted nothing but to play with her and spend time with her. 
Even if she wanted food or money or something, it might have made more sense. But all she did was talk and play. That is a child's invention right there, of course. For what creatures on this earth, other than children, of course, want only that? As she grew up and eventually learned to leave the memory of her imaginary friend behind, the girl tried all the things she had been so envious of her parents and her siblings for having while she was a child. She discovered that it was not so magical, not so secretive, not so mysterious. It was fine. Dinner parties were lovely if the right people were there. There was a kind of joy to be had in simple things like food and drink and parlor games. But it was nothing compared to that joy she felt with her imaginary friend. But that made sense, too. Of course it was perfect. You invented those nights. Your mind found a way of coping with loneliness and fear and confusion. Of course those nights were perfect. You invented those nights. And she grew to know her siblings, her parents, in different ways, as she joined their dinner parties and understood why they laughed, why they cried, why they yelled, why they fought. She loved them all dearly, and they loved her, of course. But what she didn't love was how it was all so... complicated. There was so much to it, and yet it was so simple as well. They weren't happy, it seemed. They still had trouble speaking with her, and each other no less. And the older they all grew, the deeper their unhappiness grew. She wondered at how she'd ever wanted to be a part of their grown-up dealings in the first place. But here she was now, so it must be. Right? Sometimes, she dreamed of her old friend from her imagination. But she did not like those dreams. In them, the other girl was so thin and frail, her fingers pointing at her, accusing, You left me. You left me. You left me. Her eyes, red now. Her shadow hair grabbing at her like tentacles. Mouth open. Always. Screaming. She didn't understand these dreams. Why did she feel such guilt, such horror, at something that came only from her imagination? Only. As though that made her less important, less worthwhile. Humans can be such funny, stubborn things, for all that they have such magnificent minds. She tried, she tried, she tried. And that's all I care to say about her adulthood. Was it perfect? No. Was it the adulthood that she'd been told she would have? Certainly not. Was it the adulthood her friends and family seemed to have? No, 
not at all. But that didn't bother her. Because everyone who did have the life she was told she ought to have didn't seem to glean any more or any less joy from it than she did from hers. I am not saying that their lives were awful. I am not saying that at all. What I am saying is that it is simply life. To dwell on what one expected, or on what should have been, is a futile and dangerous road. It simply is, and we must learn to satisfy ourselves with that. There is a euphoric joy in that, too. It just takes lots of learning and unlearning and learning again to get there. Where was I? I'm sorry, I thought I saw something in the trees just now. Like a tall, dark figure. Smiling. Moving silently and swiftly. Something from long ago. Ah, oh, forget it. Where was I? Hmm. Oh, yes. There was to be a reunion. A family reunion at the old house. All her older brothers and sisters, her parents, even some older cousins of hers, maybe some aunts and uncles, all of them. She saw the invitation and wished that she could feel only joy and love about it. And believe me, she did feel those things. Of course she did. But there was a pit in her stomach. It was partly fueled by the fact that they hadn't all been together in so long, and she didn't really know how to behave around them as a grown-up. She'd never got good enough at it. Never had enough practice, really. But the bigger concern was, it was silly to even think it, but the bigger concern was her imaginary friend. She knew she didn't exist. She knew this. But if she did, if she did, wouldn't she be furious? The night came and the house seemed so different from what she remembered. She remembered it always being glowing orange, warm like a fire, crackling and energized like one, too. But now it seemed dark, gray, cold, like the energy had been drained from the place. Was it the place, or the people? The huge family gathered around the very large dining room table, and they seemed quiet, tired, empty. It seemed like the days of noisy parties and grown-up celebrations were past. Either that, or our hero had just imagined them to be much more magical than they actually were. But the fire was still warm, even if it wasn't roaring and the house still kept them safe and sheltered. And the food was good. And they were very fortunate, even if they all couldn't see it. She did, and so she satisfied herself with gratitude for tonight anyway. 
They had eaten, they had caught up a bit. There was a small amount of griping and grumbling and little angry outbursts here and there. But overall, it was one of the less chaotic get-togethers they'd had. They had their coffees. The dessert plates were almost all but clean. It was the quiet time. The part of the night where everyone sits and wants to go home. The hosts want everyone to go home and leave so they can get some rest. But no one knows who must declare so first. The funny little games we play. And then, suddenly, a loud pounding. A knocking. An echoing rumbling. Coming from above. Every single person at the table froze. Our hero thought to herself, it's her. It sounded like feet stomping, fists pounding, moaning, crying. But it was deep and yet high, angry yet forlorn. It sounded so different moment to moment, and she didn't recognize it at all. She shivered and shook. Everyone at the table did, and no one said a thing. Finally, the youngest of them all, now grown up as the rest of them, saw how afraid and childlike they all looked. She had the most experience with childlike fear. So she stood up and said, I'll go. And she left the room. Up the stairs she went, and the noise grew louder and louder. She went to her old room. It was almost exactly as she'd left it. The pale green of the nursery though the walls were dusty, suddenly reminding her of that first night when the shadow girl had made her way in. But she wasn't here. The closet, however, was shut, and she heard a little sniffle, a little quiet sound just behind that door. She opened it, Sitting peacefully was a most fearsome thing, but nowhere near as fearsome as she'd been in the girl's nightmares. Huge now, she took up the entire space of the closet. Her hair, the mane of shadow, had grown past her toes, and it was so thick now that she wore it like a cloak and it looked more like a hood over her face now. It was not reaching at her in vicious tentacles. Her eyes were glowing pink. A soft pink. A sad pink. Perhaps no longer bloodshot, though, as she had been getting much more rest since the girl had left. They'd grown wider, larger, 
and they looked like they belonged more to a strange jungle cat than to anything human. Tears had fallen from them for so many years now that they had permanently stained the creature's face with gray streaks, painting her cheeks, her neck, her collarbones. She was not frail and thin and starved. She was tall. She was strong. So much more than before. She had grown while living here. And since she was an ancient and eternal thing, she hadn't stopped growing. She seemed endlessly healthy. And endlessly sad, too. The girl trembled as she looked at her imaginary friend. How big she'd gotten. How sad she seemed. And she feared for her life for a moment. I'm back. She whispered ready to face the consequences of her deserting her friend. The thing glanced up with those huge pink tiger eyes, and she gasped, and she ran to her and embraced her. I knew you'd come, she whispered back. The girl recalled that this friend came from her imagination. Even if she was real, this friend came from the part of her that wanted attention and joy and fun and, most importantly, unconditional love. Of course that's what she was still. Of course. But then, what was the source of that banging? Where was the shouting, the screaming coming from? Hand in hand, the two old friends left the closet and then the nursery to find out. Down the hall, the door to one of her sister's rooms was open, and they saw that sister breaking open the door to the closet, screaming, using an axe, desperately wailing and crying, Hold on, hold on, I'm coming. As she broke open her closet, out came a creature, horrific and enormous. This sister had always been particularly obsessed with keeping up her appearance, and as she had grown older, how she had sorrowed at her graying hair, her wrinkling face, her changing body. She had desired to be her ideal kind of beautiful, forever and ever. So great was her desire that she had become so blind to her own undeniable beauty. But the creature in her closet who emerged was a grotesque exaggeration of long golden curls, long doe-like eyelashes, blood-red lips, and curling over-manicured red nails. And that creature exited this sister's closet, appearing confused, hurt, and ashamed. Ashamed at her appearance. Her sister looked upon her 
and in a frenzy whispered, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And the creature wept and fell into her arms too. Another brother had found his closet as well, for he knew what he had locked up here years and years and years ago. It was a most clever, most mischievous, most dashing imaginary friend, someone he could get up to trouble with and not judge him, someone who was not afraid to laugh at what others wouldn't. He simply opened the door with a key, and a creature with a maniacal grin, laughing in a most confused, nervous, frightened way, emerged. He giggled and he laughed at his newfound freedom. The brother tried to extend a hand to him, but he playfully slapped it away, and the brother scoffed and slapped at his hand too, and the two of them laughed. So, our protagonist thought, that's what he locked up all those years ago. Soon the house was full of the strangest, most awful and wondrous imaginary creatures that had been put away for so long, forgotten and now free. Some were quite angry. One brother had locked up an imaginary friend who was as full of rage as he was, and he kicked down the door himself and stared at his counterpart who had become so muscular and brutish and violent, and he had so much anger for everyone, but most of all, for the one who made him. And the two of them screamed at each other, and bellowed and howled, until they screamed and bellowed and howled so much, they had none of that nonsense left. And then they had never felt better. Some were quite sad, one sister had locked up an imaginary friend who was too sensitive. He was so gentle, and so kind, and so afraid, and weak. And she felt so terrible that she'd abandoned him, when she'd created him in the first place so that she could care for him, so that she could nurture him. Seeing him again, he had become even smaller, even more delicate, and he seemed all the more precious to her, so she picked him up and rocked him in her arms. Father had locked away a most interesting creature long ago. He had locked up a beast, an animal, a wild animal from his imagination he'd befriended, back when he was a child who loved nothing more than running through the woods and swimming in the lake and being free in nature. But he'd abandoned that for business, for books and for scrawling and for documents and clients. So when he unleashed the wild animal in his closet, the old man's eyes lit up with a kind of wonder he hadn't felt since he was a young man. Mother had locked away something in her closet too, but it was still kept quiet and mysterious, for she loved nothing better than a secret. Imagine, 
a reunion like this, with not just family, but also with everyone's imaginary friend. For everyone has one, you realize. Whether you know it or not, you had an imaginary friend at some point in your life, even if it was just a sense, just a feeling. Maybe it was just a feeling of belonging, or a love of playing pretend. Maybe it was a window to another world, or an enchanted tree in your backyard. Everyone has one, and I wish we didn't have the terrible habit of locking them away so that we can move on to more real, more grown-up things. I think the real playing pretend that we do is pretending that those imaginary things were never a part of us. Tonight, I suppose, I want to ask you, what is your imaginary friend? What have you considered leaving behind in order to become more fully what you think this world wants you to become? If I can offer this to you, you don't have to do it. It's just an offer. Maybe. Try and speak with them tonight. I bet you can be with them again. They're just you, after all. You created them for a reason. Good night to you, my friend. And good night to your imaginary friend, too. Hello, my dear friends. Thank you so much for listening to episode 183 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is host, writer, composer, podcaster, performer, team of one, Kristen Zaza. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe and warm and getting the rest you need to push through this end of winter we're facing. If that's where you are. I know it's not quite winter for everyone who listens but it's been strange and foggy and rainy and snowy here all at once. So happy February, I suppose. I would like to thank everyone who supports the show via Patreon on a monthly basis. Thank you so much for helping me make On a Dark Cold Night, my friends. If you're interested in supporting the show this way, every patron of $1 or more a month receives access to my ever-growing soundtrack, while every patron of $5 or more a month gets that, as well as access to a monthly tarot reading video I post each month on the full moon. To learn more, visit my page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. You can also donate one time instead, without those perks, through coffee.com. To learn more about that, visit my page there at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And I also have t-shirts and hoodies available for purchase at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also love if you left a rating and a review for the show wherever you prefer to do so, though if it happens to be on iTunes, that's always very helpful. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, 
or on my Facebook or YouTube page is just called On a Dark Cold Night. You can also follow me on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. Thank you again for listening, my friends. Wishing you and your imaginary friends lots of love and joy and peace and good rest. Be well and take care. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.